Edmonton. Stopped by Platt. Here's Steve Bold. And it's Adams. Put through by Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Hello and welcome back to another episode of That Sums It All Up. Hope everyone is well. Today's show is going to be slightly different. Uh, instead of dedicating the majority of our time dissecting Arsenal's underwhelming one-all draw against Fulham, we will instead be taking some time, some some important time actually, to reflect upon, yes, the, the, the establishment or the plans to establish the European Super League, uh, which is a bit of a shame because, of course, instead of focusing on what's going on on the pitch at the moment, as we enter the final stretch of Arsenal's 2020-21 campaign, we're instead having to contemplate the idea that football as we know it may well be changing for the worse. And look, we may get on to talking about the Fulham game after we put our ideas together about sort of what's been going on over the last few days, but I think it's really difficult to become engaged with results that have happened recently, but also just the football that's going on at the moment. It all seems so uh, irrelevant given the potential implications for for what might happen with this Super League thing. So today, to discuss the groundbreaking news and everything that's come with it, is Johnny Rosen, and we're going to try and try and talk about how we're feeling and and where we think this might be going, and and yeah, just just trying to thrash it out right and proper. So, hi Johnny, uh, how are you today? Uh, yeah, I'm not bad, just kind of similar to you trying to process everything there's a lot out there a lot to digest so kind of working my way through it has been it's been tough it's taken a bit of a toll and I feel it's a bit draining actually over the last few days I, I mentioned to you mm. uh briefly just before that on Sunday night uh, my head was spinning so much I actually had to take a sleeping pill to get to sleep um but yeah, that, that, putting that all to one side for a second, I'm doing well back up in Edinburgh. It's really nice to be back up here, see out the kind of end of um, my final semester as a student up here. So, yeah, that's that's like a positive note, I guess. How's everything with you? Yeah, all good. Bar just uh, for some reason, as 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 you well know, having some technical issues with my laptop, the uh, the mouse pads decided to stop working. So that's always nice when you feel like your laptop's going to break and you'll lose everything on it. But hopefully that's not the case. It's um, it's quite ironic that Jose Mourinho has been sacked and even on all the social media outlets and sport pages, news outlets, it's just nowhere to be seen. No one's really talking about it. I mean, you can't help but think that maybe that was tactically timed by Daniel Levy, perhaps knowing that the backlash of this would be so monumental that no one's talking about the Mourinho sacking. Yeah the yeah implications yeah then well it's got to be something like he's obviously seen the uproar on social media about the super league and it's it's convenient just slip the Mourinho sacking under the rug but no i still had a uh, had enough time to send a few messages to a few spurs fans i know um digging a bit i, I can't stand Mourinho. he's one of my least favorite managers uh, as i'm sure with most arsenal fans and i can't stand spurs so seeing that unravel in the way it did, uh, being before a final, added to kind of the gloss of his failure there. Mm. And, uh, and that's pretty nice. Ryan Mason in charge to the end of the season. 
don't know anything about his coaching credentials, but look, he's he's, he's, he's he, I didn't dislike him. He had a terrible injury when he was a player, and so look, good luck to him. But I hope he I hope he also fails. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just briefly, let's now we're, we're talking about Mourinho. Let's let's have a few words on it before we get into the Super League stuff. It's slightly less acrimonious a fallout, do you not think, from you know, previous times when Mourinho sort of left Chelsea the second time round and Manchester United, or maybe that's the way it's just being depicted and we haven't quite heard it all, but it seems as if it's not, it didn't escalate sort of as much as maybe I sort of hoped it would. I, I felt there was plenty more sort of um, Mourinho press conferences and uh, meltdowns to come. And maybe it was a case of Levy nipping it in the bud before, you know, fans start coming to stadiums and stuff, do you think? I think, well, yeah, I, I read that or uh, something similar to that in the Athletic article, the kind of tell-all inside Mourinho sacking um, post that came out yesterday after he was fired. But I also think that the Spurs squad uh, were very different to the kind of United squad that Mourinho had and maybe the Chelsea squad that he had in his second uh, spell there. And the, the characters were um, kind of more submissive to an extent of Mourinho's power. Uh, there was no like Pogba-esque figure in, in the Tottenham squad. And, and Kane, who is by far the, the most um, revered and influential member of the Spurs squad, was still, uh, as, as I've read, is still, was still loyal to, uh, to Mourinho yeah. till the very end. Willing to run through a brick wall for Mourinho. Yeah. By some. <laughs> uh, you saw that with his performances and he's, he, I think personally, he's probably enjoying the best on-field season of his career in the league. Um, and I hate to give him credit as an Arsenal fan, but he, he is just an unbelievable footballer. Uh, but, yeah, it's just good, and just I, I don't really care if he goes out, you know, all guns blazing, or he's sacked quietly. It's a failure is a failure, either which way you dress it up. And yeah, he got them to a final, but he's not going to be on uh, at Wembley on the weekend, and um, and he's not won a trophy there, and he's not finished in the top four with them, and he's 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 done nothing he set out to do, other than um, make. An expensive loan signing with Gareth Bale. Uh, that was that was about it. That's his legacy, really. Um, so yeah, which also I guess shows it, doesn't it? The fact that that wasn't even really his decision. It was Daniel Levy's, and I think I think the buck does stop with Daniel Levy because ultimately this was a an ambitious managerial appointment that did not pay off, and I think Jose Mourinho's um, image and reputation has probably plummeted somewhat. And you could argue that perhaps, you know, those famous words about Arsene Wenger, uh, sort of probably about, what, eight years ago now, how he was a specialist in failure. And it looks as if Mourinho might sort of be adopting some of that characteristic after this Spurs spell because it was a failure. There's no way about it. It's, it's going to cost them the best part of £20 million, as some people have been um, saying or suggesting, I don't know if that's accurate, but you know, it's, it's a hefty payoff. And it was a gamble on the one hand because everyone anticipated that there would be an ending like this. But at the same time, it seemed quite a straightforward appointment in terms of guaranteeing some short term success. But 
it's just not paid off and, and spectacularly failed. And I think that that's great for, for Arsenal fans. And also the fact that Kane and Son, for example, Spurs even started their best ever season and Kane's on track maybe to win all these personal awards and have a, his best season arguably in, in his career. And it's sort of coincided with Tottenham, well, being Tottenham and not really being anywhere. So yeah, we can't help but enjoy some of that, I think. Always nice. Yeah, definitely puts uh, the silver lining, you know, on on kind of the events of the past 48 hours. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you said you couldn't sleep on, on Sunday night. I, I managed to sort of, it didn't quite hit me as early as Sunday night, I think, because I, I, I watched Arsenal and I watched Manchester United and I watched a bit of the Sky Sports coverage and then I had plans. So I was sort of away from my phone and TV. And then it got to Monday morning, went into the library sat down intending to start some work nice and early and then sort of catching up on all the articles from the night before. And then the news of Jose Mourinho sacking breaks and then all the Super League stuff's going on. And I'm just like, what's going on? It was a crazy Monday morning. But look, let, let's, get on to the, let's get on to the Super League then. What are your thoughts about it now? I mean, have they, have they, have they changed at all in the, in the two days prior, sort of since the announcement? Or are you still trying to... I mean, like a lot of us trying to understand the roadmap of this thing. I think everyone's got pretty negative feelings about it. But yeah, how are you feeling about it at this moment in time? Um, I would say generally, like I'm incredibly disheartened by the by the proposal and uh, and 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 let down, obviously, by Arsenal's involvement in it. Although I'm I'm trying my best, as I think most Arsenal fans should do, to um, try and separate. Uh, Arsenal Football Club to kind of the actions and ambitions of Stan Kroenke and Josh Kroenke because they're they're completely separate entities. But you know he does own Arsenal, and obviously because of that, it's a massive say on the trajectory of the club. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's really it's just very sad. I think ultimately that we've been playing professional football in this country for nearly 150 years, maybe a bit more. But um, they these clubs just seem to want to throw that legacy away um, so they can triple the revenue or quadruple their revenue. I don't know the exact figures. Um, I know that there's a rumour about 350 million euros per team for the founding members, but I think it's now come out that it's actually between 100 million to 350 million on kind of your some sort of coefficient, but it won't be the UEFA coefficient. It'll be they'll have a Super League coefficient, which will kind of um, sort that out. But yeah, it, it's just a it's it's a really sad state of events, and it showed it's really kind of brought to light where we're at with football um, globally, uh, but but yeah, in Europe and the major leagues because it's. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just all being fueled by greed and uh, and these kind of dozen clubs or the owners of the clubs who want more and more and more. And I understand the financial situation that the pandemic has kind of brought to light, but it's it's just it's it's really we've all been let down. Really, that's mm-hmm. that's that's my gut feeling is is we've just been let down. And I can get we'll get into obviously the kind of intricacies of the Super League and 
the format and what it means and what it doesn't mean and the ramifications for Champions League, Europa League, Premier League, this season, next season and so on. But at, at a base level, my, my feeling is just disappointment and, uh, and yeah, and just sad, really. Yeah, I think I think most people, or especially fans. I mean, you could look. Everyone's a different type of fan and has different feelings towards clubs and football and organisations and stuff like that. But as fans of Arsenal, who are obviously members or one of the founding members, which a title is, is as a title is uh, not very pleasant. Um, you know, we're we're disappointed. We're angry. We're let down. And we feel disenfranchised and, you know, all the rest of it. But then you've got to think of also further fo- further afield, other other football fans who aren't actually part of this, who are perhaps, you know, we're, we're worrying about what this will mean for Arsenal, sort of um, our competitive sporting level, you know, sort of continue our way to sustained mediocrity, but being rewarded for it by guaranteed payments. So, you know, this is basically the club ensuring that it's it's all it's all plain sailing from here and they don't have to worry about, you know, the jeopardy of 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 levels of performance and what happens on the pitch affecting, you know, uh where the club is in terms of its global stature and I think that's what we're seeing the owners that's what they care about. But, you know, a lot of people, as we saw yesterday with the Leeds and Liverpool game, you know, Leeds fans and, and players, and I think it's just been announced that 14 of the other the other 14 teams, the small 14, you could call them, um, in relation to the big six, which is just ridiculous, they will, all, all the players will be wearing their, their sort of um, protesting T-shirts. Um, I think it's got the slogan like earn it on it or something like that. But yeah, I think, I think you know, the reaction has been, has been, um, well, it's, it's sent shockwaves around the country, really. And like you say, we're all disappointed and stuff. I don't think, I think what's sort of taken me aback is is the scale of which everyone's reacted in such a, you know, rightly angry and vocal way. But then the response of clubs, I mean, maybe it's not surprising that no one's saying anything and we haven't had any contact. And, you know, as fans, we're not expecting to get anything, but you know, the players are yet to receive, you know, have a dialogue with the clubs. I mean, Arsenal still, I think, are waiting that, or they've been in talks maybe today. Um, But it is just a case of a complete disconnect between what is is going on with these owners. And we've we've spoken about Stan Kroenke before, and everyone, I think, is aware of, of what he wants of this club, not to invest in it just ensure that it's a profitable asset for him and you know it's it's really worrying to see the potential changes that these people who have too much power and have been able to cultivate it over the last you know 10-15 years are now you know they've got so much power they can they can afford to do this and and use their leverage to well break away into a super league or ensure that they get you know whatever they're going to demand from because there has to be some sort of um you know discussion and and coming together because i don't think this you know everyone's worrying that this means oh well the premier league is is ending as we know it or you know players won't play Mm. in the world cup i don't envision that happening Mm. 
So it's definitely not going to happen at all. Sorry to cut over you, but I just, yeah, agree with everything you're saying. Um, but it's completely unrealistic. I, I think if players are suddenly banned from FIFA competitions uh, or the, the big six, as they've been labelled, um, are expelled from the Premier League, it leaves, well, the Premier League will have a vastly kind of diminished uh, asset and product to sell, as will FIFA with the World Cup. I mean, it really does put those organisations in between like a rock and a hard place because if they really want to stick um, to their guns and kind of show, I don't know, isn't I don't know if integrity is the right word, but kind of go follow through with what they're saying about not letting players play in international tournaments, then who's going to watch a Euros this summer with no Ronaldo, no Bruno, no De Bruyne, no Harry Kane, no uh, Modric. I mean, you just go on and on and on with every player that's involved. It's the best players in the world, basically, bar um, Mbappe, Neymar and Holland, uh, two of whom who wouldn't even be in the Euros anyway, though for obvious reasons. But um it's it's just yeah it's 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 i don't it's i i'm so like confused with where how everything's kind of unraveled over the last kind of two days you almost don't know where to begin like do you do we address the knock-on effects for the players for the leagues um and i keep trying to think well what's the best case scenario what what would be like the positive result and i don't know if you've had any thoughts on that but I guess if this ended up being just a blanket replacement for the Champions League, then I would probably be okay with it. But it's the fact that it's so much more and it devalues, I mean, it even devalues the Leeds-Liverpool game that I watched yesterday. Because if there's a Super League uh, next season that Liverpool are in, why do they need to finish in the top four? Why do Arsenal need to you know, progress past Bruno Emery's Villarreal, which a week ago, I think everyone was really excited about the sort of, you know, the significance of facing up against a former coach mm. and, you know, playing Villarreal in, in 2006 in the semi-finals before we met Barcelona in the Champions League final. There was some real sense of, of jeopardy and we've underperformed in the league, but, you know, this is what a competition like that provides you. It's a chance to sort of make up ground and, um, you know, do the impossible and it's it's competitive. That's that's the whole point. Hmm. And now maybe that doesn't matter. I mean, look, I, I agree with you. I think look, there's been there's been a need for change, I think, in the Champions League formatting and, and European competitions for a while. I don't I think you can understand why clubs are discontent with it. But you know, it seems to happen every so often, every few years when they do amend it slightly. Um you know, it is in favour of these big clubs, like it. So it should be probably, but the the risk you run is is sort of handing over too much power. I think this is what sort of sparks this whole thing. You know, there were they were close to reaching an agreement last week uh, with the Champions League formatting reforms, mm. like super close, and then it sort of hinged on the commercial, um, like rights. I think they did reach an agreement. Well, they did, but then, you know, they sort of backtracked because I think the big clubs were under the impression that they would be in charge of their own commercial sort mm. of, they could they could sell their, their commercial images and all, all this sort of thing. They would be responsible for it. But UEFA said, no, look, we, we need to maintain that. 
and then the the talks broke down and then they were going to be delayed and then a week later you've got the Super League sort of erupting out of nowhere I mean obviously not out of nowhere but the way in which it suddenly sort of was you know in the space of about an hour you've got you know news of various resignations and standing down from you know the the board of the UEFA board or or um, European Chair Association and you know it really does seem like they're going for this thing yeah and look I, I I've given a tiny bit of thoughts of what I feel would be ideal um look like you if these clubs want a super league they have unfortunately they have the power to to sort of do it or if not the you know UEFA or FIFA or the Premier League or whoever else are going to have to seriously sort of compromise because these 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 breakaway clubs have have too much leverage too much power they, their standing is too sort of dominant in the game to ignore but I you know in an ideal world I think well the manner in which they've gone about this I think is is disgraceful and in which case you know, hopefully the Super League is blocked and it's disallowed on grounds of, you know, whatever grounds, you just find a way to make it stop. And there's already rumours of um, participants backtracking. Um, I don't know who exactly that they might be, but, and then you, and then you sanction these teams who are involved. I think, you know, Arsenal, I, I want to, obviously I support Arsenal, but you sanction them once you establish the roadmap forward. I think people saying, you know, Gary Neville, I think he's spoken really well on it, but for him to sort of say dot them points right now it's like there there's no this is still such an early stage I think there's a lot of time to go to see where the this narrative develops to having said that you know they're planning to play I think kick off this thing in 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 the summer so there's not much time to sort of make things work and then you've also got to consider like we're in crunch time of the season we've got Champions League semi-finals next week which I think Mm -hmm. everyone's really looking forward to the likes of PSG Manchester City Arsenal hopefully doing something against Villarreal and now well what what what's going to happen um it's really disgraceful I think the timing of which they've announced all of this because it's basically saying we don't care about the integrity or the competition element of the current competitions we care about doing what we feel is right for our club's welfare or you know capability of earning loads of money um, so yeah, do you want to jump in there and, and say anything that <laughs> comes to mind? No, I look. I agree with with everything you're saying. Just to add a bit more to it, mm-hmm. maybe is it's it seems like from from the club's perspectives that they're involved, they they recognise and, and it's completely true. Look, they they have all of the power. They they employ the best players. They play the best football. They have the most kind of globally recognised brands. And so it makes sense why they would want to um, kind of be more in control and have more power, whether that's voting rights or whatnot, you know, in the Champions League. But just, yeah, as you say, the way that they've gone about this, just almost initiating the first kind of leak that came out around, I don't know, midday, Sunday, maybe kind of Sunday, early afternoon, to um, Agnelli stepping down from the ECA uh, on Monday morning to Arsenal and Vinay leaving. Chelsea have left United and uh, Ed Woodward stepped down from his role at UEFA. Spurs have left the ECA. And I think that's what's shown that there's more intent behind this than, than before. I mean, look, 
it was only as recently as 2019 where there was a big thing about the Super League starting and over you go back every decade since maybe the, like since European football began in the 50s there's always been rumours of whoever the big clubs in Europe were at the time upping sticks and starting their own Super League but it feels it definitely feels a much more kind of real and uh, and genuine this time and that's substantiated by the fact that it's it's there on Arsenal's website it's there on Chelsea's website these clubs they have left the the bodies they've left the ECA they've left their roles at UEFA so where where's the reconciliation what what happens if if this doesn't come off is Vinay, is Agnelli, is Woodward, are they going to kind of go back to the ECA and to UEFA with their tails between their legs, being like, please, can I have my seat on the board back? I don't think so. So no. it's, you're then in a position where, who, who extends the olive branch? I can't see um, Sefrin and NASA, who's taken Agnelli's role at UEFA, or a room manager, uh, Bayern Munich, extending an olive branch to these other executives who have insulted them. And I can't see the the Super League founding executives extending the olive branch to the UEFA executives. It's it's really um, fragmented and uh, and it's really, you know, caused a massive civil war for the whole... It's put the whole of European football at civil war, rather. And mm. I just... I just don't... I really don't know practically where where we go if the super league doesn't happen so then if we assume that the super league does happen you're we're left with kind of picking up the pieces um from 12 really selfish owners who have they are uh whatever they're not putting them out of the domestic league whether arsenal chelsea united etc expelled from the premier league only time will tell. The same with the Sp- Spanish and Italian clubs in their respective leagues. But just the the knock-on effect that will have for not just the other 14 clubs in the Premier League, but all the clubs in the Championship, the league, right the way down to the National League, it will affect Scottish teams. It will affect this pyramid in Scotland. It, it really, the ripple effect, um, we can't, I can't stress it enough how how kind of big it will be and how severe it will be. It will just ruin um, hundreds of clubs, really take them down already at a time where these clubs are struggling because of a year with no fans and stadiums and the pandemic. It's just, it's a real kick in the teeth. As you say, the timing of it was seven games to go to the end of the season, crunch time in the Champions League and the Europa League. I was so excited for for the uh, for the semi final, you know, and now it's just it's hollow. The PSG City game, it's it, it's all hollow. Mm. And as much as I think some Arsenal fans, uh, I don't know whether they truly believe it or they're maybe trying to like clutch onto straws or whatever, saying, well, at least if there's a Super League, we're guaranteed sort of financial stability and we can sign good players and we don't need to worry about you know ever going bust or ever kind of losing um, in kind of like a financial sense. But I don't, I think that's the risk of football that if you don't perform well on the pitch, then you're not rewarded. And if you remove the competitive element from it, it just all becomes, in my opinion, utterly redundant. And so. Yeah. And just, just I agree with everything you're saying. Um, You know, if you're, if you're not performing on the pitch, then 
there is danger that you will fall away and deservedly so. And I think that is the key difference between English competitive football and these American owners who, you know, they, they have teams in the NBA and, and uh, American football and there's no promotion or relegation. Um, payments are spread evenly or, or sort of not evenly, but everyone gets a share and there's constant sort of profits and, and money available and, and it's, it's the competition is sort of sucked away or at least, you know, it's a different type of competition because there's, there's, yeah. there's no danger. But look, this is the thing. Well, can I just cut in really yeah. quickly about that? Because I've seen a lot of people, maybe they're not American sports fans maybe there are but it's clearly being modeled on an american system there is competition in the nfl you know the super bowl is hugely competitive it's probably the most watched annual sporting event alongside the champions league final Mm. i've watched every year for the past kind of three four years the nba i i watch kind of not every week but i watch a game every few weeks and it's really entertaining the problem is, while these leagues are competitive, they've never had anything different. We've what we've had kind of true um, competitiveness with the promotion relegation system, and when you've had that for so many years and it's so entrenched in European football, you can't just simply take the best teams away from it and isolate them in this kind of franchise bubble. Uh, it's it's ludicrous, but yeah. Anyway, sorry to cut a. Oh, no, cut no, in. no, that's fine. I mean, look again. That's the thing. These there's there's this is sort of one part of the of the of the disagreement or discord that they're going to have to find a way to get to grips with because the breakaway clubs are under the impression that this Super League would not interfere with the Premier League and it would be a direct replacement for you know European competition. Mm. I think you know given. <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's a response to the threats of obviously so many of the big clubs are in real terms missing out on a lot more money than, you know, other clubs because of, you know, for example, Barcelona and a billion pounds of debt. Whether that's COVID, obviously it's COVID related, but as we know, Barcelona are not a very well run club. You can say that probably about Manchester United as well. You could say that definitely about Arsenal. And this is sort of, look, it's, it, it pains me to say it. it's obviously a smart thing to sort of come together the most powerful owners of these football clubs and be like look we can do this because we know we've got the power and we also know our clubs are not very well run and we don't really know how to run them in the way that sort of um, sustains success and we can deal with the com- competition in English football and so this is a you know for someone like Stan Kroenke this is uh, he's going to have an absolute field day with this because he has been overseeing Arsenal's steady decline with minimal intervention, you know, not taking necessarily, yeah, maybe he's done it a bit at points, but, you know, he's the most sort of abject and aloof owner one could one could wish for. And suddenly his asset, his beloved Arsenal, are, you know, a way of him ensuring that there's no risk, there's no need for him to care more about the club I mean, look, this is, again, it's just all speculation. Who knows? Maybe who at this, uh, at this early point, I think everyone's expecting the worst. And I think just because of how shocking it is and the way in which these clubs have come together and gone behind the backs of people and disregarded fan sentiment and not, you know, engaged with players and other organisation organization, um, organizations, it's, it leaves everyone with a sour taste. But 
there will be, well, I, I'm looking at this positively, there won't be the disaster, hopefully, that everyone is predicting because it just can't happen. You know, there's too much at stake for all parties involved. So you'd like to think that somehow there's going to be some sort of reconciliation. But like you say, I can't I can't really see that at the moment because it's so fresh and everyone, you know, the clubs haven't even, there's nothing. There's those statements on the websites, absolutely nothing else. And it is a bit yeah. shocking. But I think I think when, when um, you say like this disaster will progress, hopefully it can't be as bad as it's kind of being painted right now. I think Fiorentino Perez kind of um, hinted as much during his interview um, last night. I don't know if you followed it, mm. but it was it was interesting to hear what he was saying. I think some of it was absolute uh, bullshit, to be honest, about almost like saying, well, the games are too long. Maybe we'll have to change the length of games and mm. tailoring this to kind of the 16 to 24 uh, demographic. I mean, you and I are both right in the middle of that demographic. And we're completely against this, as is every other 16 to 24-year-old. I know I'm yet to meet someone in favour of it. Um, but he did also say that the next step is, is to sit down with UEFA and negotiate and speak with them. And I think that kind of brings us onto a, another kind of salient point, which is UEFA and FIFA are also terribly run organisations, mm. riddled with corruption mm. and in need of huge reformation. And what's happening, I guess, to a certain extent, and it's similar with Sky as well, which is a kind of monstrosity of a corporation run by Rupert Murdoch. And it's got maybe the, they, they get away with it because they let their pundits say what they feel in terms of putting Carragher and Neville together on Monday Night Football and it paints a good picture. But behind the scenes also... Uh, the, the impact they've had on the game is is ridiculous. The way that they've dominated uh, kickoff times, the 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 ridiculous fifteen pound per game um, fee that was bought in kind of towards the end of twenty twenty that for for games like Arsenal, Aston Villa, or Burnley Wolves, you know, during a pandemic and and they're almost kind of getting away with it because everyone's so outraged at these twelve clubs and. And they're being vilified so much that all the other organizations and corporations are being kind of made out to be the good guys. But look, let's not fool ourselves. UEFA uh, and FIFA especially are, are, are completely corrupt organizations. And there's always been a sense of, well, we know they're corrupt, but they're, they're still doing a good enough job that we're just going to kind of turn a cheek to it and just continue with... Um, you know the World Cup as it is and Champions League as it is, but actually, who look on a, playing devil's advocate? Who's to say that the Super League would be worse as an organisation than these corrupt organisations that you know you only need to mention the names Michel Platini and Seb Blatter and the fact that they're legally banned from footballing events. These are the former presidents of UEFA and FIFA to realise how. Um, severe the corruption was in these organizations and the fact that over 6,000 workers already have died on the Qatar 2022 FIFA World Cup construction sites. It's like we, we shouldn't kid ourselves and we shouldn't let them off the hook just mm. because we're so outraged at the Super League proposals. And maybe, you know, a tiny part of me thinks, well, 
if this was just a massive fuck you to FIFA and UEFA and it didn't have the detrimental effect on the Premier League and the Championship and the British Pyramid, I could potentially be okay with it. If it was less of a closed shop and if there was a bit more jeopardy involved, um, then I could see more of the positives against the negatives uh, because those organisations need to need to also kind of fix up and improve. But um, sadly, that's not how it is at the moment. So yeah, I think kind of, as you're saying, a dialogue needs to open and hopefully there will be some sort of progress and mm. with negotiations and maybe legal proceedings and we'll see what happens down the line. But yeah, you know, as you say, at this early stage, there's so much up in the air, there's so much confusion that we just, we just have no idea where things are going to be in an hour's time from now, let alone uh, a day or a week's time. So, so yeah, that's just kind of where I am on that. Yeah, definitely. And I think just a, a point on that, I think you're right to, to point out that um, FIFA and UEFA are by no means, you know, angels, far from it. But mm. I think, you know, the function of those organisations regardless of sort of the way in which they conduct their business as an independent body. I think that's a really, you know, it is quite a valuable thing because you have to regulate these competitions and ensure that, you know, well, what they're doing, these clubs are breaking away from a league and establishing their own rules. And at that point, you're just like, well, you're, you're creating like a, a sort of system that, you play by your own rules and that it takes away completely sort of the, the, the underlying, underlying premise of what competitive football is. And that's where you think, you know, when, when Gary Neville says that, you know, you need more regulation and, and this sort of thing. And, you know, there's too much money on football and, and Sky are a part of that. And, and so are FIFA and UEFA and, and everyone who's part of sort of football these days, there's just too much money. And it, it you could, you could argue that this is sort of just the boiling point, the tipping point that, you know, everyone's sort of predicted happening inevitably at some point. But I think given that we're just coming slowly towards the end of a pandemic and yeah, it's not the time nor the place to start these discussions. Um, when in reality, look, these discussions could could take it to somewhere of a level playing field where everyone sort of gets to a point where, look, we're not happy, you're not happy, but let's let's find a way to... To, to try and come together and do this. But I think, look, this, this does just show the state of affairs and sort of what's been brewing over the last, well, sort of probably since the Premier League was established in 1992, which has similar undertones to this. Obviously, it's not quite the same, but, you know, this is sort mm. of what happens when, mm. you know, clubs have too much power and too much money. And, and um, I think you know, the Premier League has a part to play in that everyone is guilty to some extent. And yeah, definitely where we are. And that's why it's quite confusing. And also, you know, we're, we're sort of scrounging around, you know, relying on Twitter and the athletic and, and sports outlets and, you know, pundits and, um, you know, the odd player speaking out. But we've got no clue sort of what's going on behind the scenes. We've, we've, we've had fans of these clubs and everyone else have had a sort of uniform statement released with a couple of the, the chairman or co-founders of this organization sort of laying out what the formats are going to be. And that's sort of it. Just to jump in really quickly, it's just broken that apparently Chelsea are now preparing to request to withdraw from the Super League uh, as of literally five minutes ago. 
Um, and I maybe that has something to do with there's been quite a large protest outside Stamford Bridge tonight ahead of their game with mm. Brighton. And um, and Luke Shaw, obviously, of United, has come out with a statement on Twitter saying that he's against the Super League and players are starting to um, to kind of speak out again against. But yeah, I think, look, out of all the clubs, look, Peter Cech is there uh, in the present in the protest outside Stamford Bridge, uh, with stand, standing side by side with the protesters, saying let's sort this out. And um, and I think actually out of all the English clubs, I know Chelsea have been were the most hesitant to to join the Super League initially. They obviously look don't need the money. They've got a very active investor owner investor in Abramovich, and. Um, and so it, this will be interesting to see if one of the clubs goes, if there's a domino effect or if they just stand strong as an 11 and look for someone to take Chelsea's place. But look, good on, good on Chelsea mm. as, 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 it, as much as it pains me to, to say. But look, it's, it's not the time for tribalism and it's actually the time to commend whoever steps forward and, and makes that initial kind of um, attempt to back away and... Re, you know, just put this kind of sorry state of affairs to bed so we can start to um, build bridges rather than walls. But that's just just literally got a, yeah. a, a alert on my phone, so thought I'd add that. To that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think, look, we alluded to it earlier. There were there were stories of of one of the one of the members perhaps backtracking, and this is going to be the story for the next. You know, well inevitably for, for until they sort this thing out. Cracks are going to open here. Clubs are going to pull out. There'll be changes. There'll be withdrawals. There'll be arguments. And it is just more than anything, we're football fans and we want to be sort of focusing our, our attention and words and analysis on, on the games and what's going on. And as I said before, I just, it's so draining to already to to envision sort of how this is going to pan out and the attention that it will divert away from the pitch onto these sorts of issues and mm. it's really saddening because I was as a football fan look this is just from my perspective and maybe things like these need to happen to sort of you know um trigger change whether that's right or wrong but I was really looking forward to sort of the end of the season and, and there was jeopardy. And even if Arsenal were sort of, you know, I was really dejected after Arsenal drew to Fulham uh, at the weekend. I was just, I was fed up. I was just like, this can't go on this mediocrity, this sort of coasting into just mid, mid tableness. Uh, but then, you know, we've got a chance to sort of somehow salvage everything with, with the Villarreal games and there's Champions League games and who's going to finish in the top four and will Leicester and West Ham finish it. And now it just, it's not the same. And I think as football fans, that is a really sort of saddening thing. And it's just like, well, what, you know, we, what, what are we meant to do? Now we're sort of turning into sort of activists and uh, thinking about, well, why is our club so stupid? And why isn't Stan Kroenke, you know, doing things better? And it's, it's, um, look, I'd rather be talking about, you know, Eddie and Katia's late goal against Fulham, as boring as it sounds, but really, like, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly. At least we didn't miss out on an exciting game to uh, 
to analyze and go over. It's not like yeah, yeah, we yeah. played one on one. I mean, I think the highlight for me the whole game was Matt Ryan's flick on uh, in the 90 <laughs> minute. Uh, but also interesting developments. I'm hearing that we're very close to signing him on a permanent deal. Unsurprisingly, um, I've got a few sources around the transfer world, although I don't think this one needed any of those. It was kind of quite out there in the open, but it's very, he's been solid. The few games he's played, obviously I don't think either of the two goals he's conceded in Arsenal uh, shirt were his fault as a keeper. Uh, obviously Arsenal fan for, for life and, uh, and will be nice to have him on board full time if and when that deal gets over the line, probably will be announced, uh, assuming there's no major hiccups, fairly fairly soon once the window opens. Mm. But, I, um, I liked Arteta's comments, actually, before the game, how Matt, Matt's been training like a beast. Um, I yeah. I found that quite funny. He does strike me as quite a, you know, a, a, a professional sort of character with, with plenty of... Plenty of um, Plenty of voice. You can always hear his Australian accent booming from the back in the sort of in the in the highlights and stuff at empty stadiums. But I think that's another thing as well. You know, we this is just look. We can probably we'll, we'll talk more probably over over the next few months and stuff about the Super League. But this is a time where people are coming out of the pandemic and and clubs are readying fans to come back into stadiums and and you're sort of looking ahead. And you're like, wow, we've, we've sort of got through this and it's not been great and. You know, it's been a bit of a slog for players and for fans, and for managers and for everyone involved. And then now this comes up and it's really a shame that we're not sort of celebrating the the return to sort of the game that we love. And instead, we're now contemplating the changes that, that might take that away for good. Um, mm. But yeah, look, it was like you say yesterday with the, with the Liverpool-Leeds game, the the sort of in the focus was so away from that game that look I mean Chelsea are playing Brighton tonight as well on the night of recording and we've got a couple of games on Wednesday and and League Cup finals and, and the rest of it and it just how are people going to respond to it already given that there are no fans in grounds now fans sort of watching are going to be engaging in a different way um, and mm. what how how the players going to be doing is a different thing but. Was there anything else you wanted to add on the Super League at all um, before before we sort of move on? We'll talk briefly about Arsenal's sort of role in all of this. And, um, yeah. Sure. I mean, honestly, I could. I think you and I could both go on and on until the cows come home about the Super League and the ramifications uh, that it has. And even with kind of the Chelsea story literally developing in the last 10 minutes about their possible withdrawal, what that will have on, the effect that will have on kind of the other teams involved. I find just anecdotally, it was funny. I think not my first thought, but definitely one of my first thoughts when I first found out about the Super League was uh, the knock-on effect it would have on fantasy football and uh, and whether there would be a, a fantasy Super League and if I'd play it and, and how that would affect my FPL team. Obviously, you and I are both quite keen FPL players so I just thought that was funny to bring up, but um, on on a on a more serious note, I think yeah, I just think with it, it's looking like now Chelsea are preparing to leave, and 
I hope it's not, that's not a kind of, they're not just doing that because they've got a home game tonight and they want to take pressure off kind of the players and the manager and the pre-match um, kind of interviews and post-match presses. And obviously I, I can see on social media and on Twitter, uh, lots of fans are, are really kind of upset and angry with their protests outside Stamford Bridge. And it's obviously had an impact, but just kind of going and honing in on Arsenal specifically as a club it's yeah it is it's really it's really kind of sad and I never really thought it would come to this obviously we we know Kronky's history it's there for everyone to see what he did with the kind of LA Rams taking them out of Missouri and and the kind of abject state he left uh, that city in St. Louis and and taking them out to LA and really, again, just to profit, just for money. And and if there, there's a part of me that thinks that if the Super League goes ahead, we won't see Arsenal that much in London, in the Emirates, in, not in the short term, but in the long-term future, the Super League is being designed as a franchise league. It's being designed to do a, an American edition uh, maybe a, a maybe even a South American edition, definitely an Asian edition, probably an Australasian or, or an Australian New Zealand edition, where ninety percent of the games are played on American soil or on Asian soil, or maybe in the Middle East. And and it's it's really it's really important that it doesn't happen. A lot of these teams, and I think it was James that mentioned this on the Arscast, their names are quite. Um, interchangeable Inter Milan can quickly become into Miami uh, Real Madrid can become real something else United City m- replace Manchester with Beijing Beijing United Beijing City Arsenal you know it's not I know Woolwich Arsenal is a specific area but that's very niche and people won't make that connection 5,000 miles away yeah only really Chelsea Liverpool and Barcelona stand out as specific areas that hold kind of geographical significance. And I really would be worried if this goes ahead, um, if, um, you know, if eventually we saw the Super League move completely out of Europe, and that's why it's not being called the European Super League. I know Mm. kind of in shorthand, it's being referred to as the ESL and on Twitter it is, but if you go onto their website, it's the Super League. It's not the European Super League. Mm. And I think that really foreshadows um, where this could end up, which would be a franchise league that's taken around the world. It's taken away from the quote-unquote legacy fans, uh, which is just absolutely... That's the new market, isn't it? You know, mobilised fan, and and that's where the money is made. Exactly. And but it's yeah, it's now coming out side sports Chelsea to leave the Super League as soon as possible. Um, and so you know, it's really interesting, um, in terms of that that development. But but yeah, that that's kind of keeping it brief without going on and on about it. And now that just a final thought, yeah, no, it is it's something that you can keep talk, one can keep talking about and going around in circles. and there's always going to be a new story and an interpretation and um, reaction or, or sort of filtering out of information. So I think, you know, at this moment in time, it's just important to sort of log our, our feelings about it and where we 
hope this will go and how they'll come to some sort of uh, middle ground that won't go against the integrity of, of the competitive sport. And, you know, as Arsenal fans, we can, we can uh, try and sort of support our club in a more complete way, as opposed to sort of doing it in a, in a piecemeal way and try and separate, you know, owner and, and sort of, uh, as a business and then what happens on the pitch it's just it's too it's too much at the moment and as i said i think it's just hit hit a boiling point and and hopefully we can find some way back but look i'm sure i'm sure in in, in future times we'll 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 have further discussions on that just want to finish very briefly on on arsenal fulham um which what a game seems the most irrelevant thing not least because it was a terrible game but also after that discussion you know what i mean it's just like who wants to talk about a football match which you know, on on its by its own merit, was, was dreadful. But it's just there's no there's no sort of meaning to it as things stand. But yeah, it was a shame to follow up the Slavia Prague game, the the, the highly impressive four nil victory in the second leg of the Europa League round, uh, no quarter final, sorry. And then you know we were within thirty seconds of losing to Fulham at home. Um, so I think. You know, we were unlucky not to win the game. I don't think things went for us on the day. I think we deserved probably to win. But mm. I do think it was such a familiar feeling of sort of different players coming in and not having the quality on the day to sort of impose ourselves and relying too much on the fine margin. So I was feeling pretty dejected after the game, but I don't know about you. Yeah, it was, look, for me, and the game, as you say, has been overshadowed significantly um, by what's kind of unfolded since. But if I can kind of take myself back to 1.30 p.m. on Sunday before Super League stuff kind of unraveled and put myself back in that mindset where I was thinking about the Arsenal game was the primary kind of thing on my mind. It was, it was just one of the, I think it was just one of those games. I, I, I can't really put it down to maybe we were tired from the kind of emotional and physical effort that went into that. Slavia Prague game yeah. uh, and everything that followed with um, the fantastic kind of stance that Lacazette and the rest of the team took on racism and and um, and the performance which was really you know intense from Arsenal from kind of the, the almost the get go I think the first ten minutes were a bit slow and then we picked up and the VAR goal kind of got ruled out and then we scored three and then the second half we we're completely in control and then traveling back, no prep, no real rest. Um, but yeah, the changes who came in, Ryan came in and goal didn't have, literally didn't make a save. You know, they had one shot on target Fulham, and it was the penalty and they scored it fine. Yeah. At the back, I don't think what was it, Gabriel didn't really put a foot wrong other than the penalty. But again, as you say, it was, it was just a game of fine margins. Another day, I don't know, Saka's, um, toe is 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 one inch forward and that goal was given by VAR and we're 1-0 up going into halftime and we win the game comfortably. The XG I think had like the non-penalty XG was something like 2.97 for Arsenal and 0.07 for Fulham. Mm. Obviously uh the penalty then significantly um increases Fulham's XG but it was just yeah it was just one of those games where the changes didn't work. I thought Elneny showed why he's never going to be anything more than a squad player. 
Right, uh, just to interject, here we go. Manchester City now pulling out as well. I mean, this is just really, much, isn't it? Well, this is this is good to hear because I think, yeah, I, I guess it was a matter of time. One goes and then they fall like a deck of cards. These two were also probably not at the forefront of the plans, were they? I think that it was suggested they were maybe backed into a corner by the uh, yeah by the traditional. They were. It, they definitely were. Um, but that's good to see. So Chelsea and Manchester City, <laughs> far reversed, uh, reversed it already. I mean, shout out to Gus Bell as well, actually, because he he's in Edinburgh, and I mean, obviously, COVID rules permitting, he actually got the train down to to Stamford Bridge tonight, and he's part of the fan protest. So um, that's that's great, great form from him uh, to go through with that. Obviously, no, I know, I, I know a few other people there at the. Instagram and I'm fair play to everyone who's who's gotten out uh, during these trying times to protest the Super League because it's what football needs right now. But um, yeah, just briefly going back to the, the Fulham game, I was obviously I was upset with the result, but it doesn't mean anything for us. We're not going to finish in the European places, you know, unless mm. unless we won every game. You know, starting with that Sheffield United game, if we'd beaten Fulham and then maybe kind of got some momentum together, beat Everton uh, and mix that in with the positive Europa League results, such some sort of miracle could happen where we end up finishing kind of fifth or sixth. But that's the final nail in the, you know, the coffin for me was the Fulham game. So what will finish eighth or ninth, tenth maybe. Um, but yeah, it's more significant for Fulham. It's another... Uh, point dropped from winning position or, or points dropped and sadly I like them they're a London club but it looks like they're gonna kind of go down quite quickly after coming up but it, yeah. yeah I think so pretty, pretty 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 meaningless from an Arsenal point of view I thought Bellerin's performance was terrible, pretty poor and it's another um, kind of performance that pushes him close to the exit and uh, and yeah I don't really of, look, there's not much to say on it. It's not. It wasn't a good game, and everything that's happened since has made it seem so um, meaningless. That there's not. There's not really much to say. I agree. Um, well, look. I mean, just as because we've sort of been getting live updates as we've been recording, such as the uh, the temperamental state of affairs at the moment. But you know, now that Chelsea and City are withdrawn, and I know they weren't sort of the original group of founders or, or whatever, and Liverpool, United, and uh, Arsenal were sort of at the forefront of that. It would be interesting to see if any other English club now follows suit. I mean, you'd probably su- suspect that if they if they don't drop out now, then these clubs are going to be held far more um, sort of in far worse regard than the ones we already have. So as an Arsenal fan, I'm hoping that they're seeing this and being like, right, we need to do something about this. But Look, I'm not entirely sure that will be the case because I'm sure Stan Kroenke has ingrained himself nice and cosily with with sort of the project. So, to a space to watch, I presume. Um, but look, I'd be surprised if Arsenal were the next team to drop out. I, I, if it, if I had to pick one, I'd guess maybe Liverpool with their, with their history and and tradition and the amount of pool that Klopp has. Uh, in that club um, but I, I would be surprised I think Arsenal 
United, Spurs have really been the, the three um, Premier League clubs pushing this for the Super League the most. And there's no surprises. It's those three because they're the three that have performed the worst on the pitch over the past five years. And, uh, and in, well, definitely in Spurs' case, have the most amount of debt from the stadium uh, mm. and need financial assistance sooner rather than later, along with kind of the Juve's and Barca's and Madrid's of, of this proposal. But yeah, well, I guess watch the space. And yeah, as, as we said earlier in the pod, things are unfolding, you know, by the hour, let alone by the day. So who knows where we'll be after the Chelsea game. But, but definitely a positive note to kind of end on is Absolutely. that revelation. Bit of, bit of light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully. <laughs> well, let's see. I think we're, we're a bit far from there, but yeah, it's, it's a positive sign. And hopefully, you know, by the next time you're back on the podcast, there will have been, and I'm sure there will have been plenty of changes and, and things um, to sort of uh, feel more positive about. But look, let's leave it there for today. And uh, a pleasure as always, Johnny. So thank you for, for your time. Appreciate it as always. No, thanks for having me back on the pod as always. Lovely. And um, just a quick reminder, you can find Johnny on Twitter um, at Johnny Rosen one and be sure to follow Football Transfer News on Facebook. Football Transfer News official on Facebook, is it? Uh, football Transfer News underscore official on Instagram and uh, Football Transfer News on Facebook and Johnny Rosen one on Twitter. Well, look, how, how, how might your, uh, your, your sort of platform be affected by the, these changes? Who knows what the transfer market might look like? So, look, you, you definitely want to go there and, and follow him because he'll have all the juicy gossip uh, as soon as it's, uh, well, existent. But, yeah, a quick reminder, you can find every episode of That Sums It All Up, as well as um, I did another podcast on, on, on the Super League of late. So that's, that's a good chat. So you, you'll find that on there as well. You can also access all the shows by like, uh, Alfie Steiner 1, We'll be back on the podcast nice and soon, I'm sure, for some more Super League discussion as, as and when more information is filtered out. It's going to keep coming, I'm sure. So good stuff. And as always, thanks for listening. Enjoy your week. And until next time, take it easy. Goodbye.